T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. It's a tough topic to talk about. We're going to tackle it today for the next half hour. Suicide. The recent deaths of Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade have raised awareness about suicide. In fact, suicide rates increased by 25% across the U.S. over the nearly the last two decades. 25 states experienced a rise in suicides by more than 30%. Illinois up by 20%. Why? What are the warning signs and what can we do? I'm Lisa Fielding sitting in for Craig Delamore, and today we tackle the tough topic of suicide. You're listening to At Issue. our guests today include Stephanie Weber, Executive Director of Suicide Prevention Services, who also lost her mother to suicide, and Mike Kenlin, who is a survivor of suicide. Thank you so much for joining me today. Both of you have remarkable stories to tell. Happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you, Stephanie. Let's start with your personal story and how this, it looks like, really became your life's mission because of what your mother had done. Take us back. It did. It was 1979. Uh, My mom had had one prior attempt in 1977, which takes us really to today. Um, But my mom took her life, and she was 61 years old. I was married, living out of state with four small children. When she was in a coma for two days, and when she came to, I was holding her hand. I never left her side. And she. I was crying, and she started crying, and I said, Mom, it's okay, and she said, it's not okay. I don't want to be alive. So she went inpatient medically because there was some damage to her throat, and I found it awfully strange that the only condition of her release was that she see a psychiatrist. The strange part is that she agreed, and this is a woman who years back when my sister wanted to see a psychiatrist just to check things out. My mom said, absolutely not. They always blame the mother. And I thought, okay, something is off here. After each visit, she went three times. I'd call her um, to see how things were. And after the third, after the second, I called the psychiatrist. I didn't know him. I was a third grade teacher. And I said, my sister and I and our husbands would be happy to come in and meet with you and meet with our mom if there's something we can, can help with. And this very arrogant, bombastic man said, that won't be necessary. I can manage this on my own. That's family therapy. I didn't know that then. I was not in that field. Then, after the third visit, I called, and she just sounded good. And I said, Mom, you sound great. How was your therapy session? And she said, oh, I don't have to go back to him anymore. I asked, why not? She said, I fooled him. I said, Mom, you're supposed to be telling him why you don't want to live. She said, Stephanie, people of my generation do not talk to therapists. They keep their problems within. Well, that was 77. So then 79 is when I got the call uh, that she was dead. She hadn't been to her job for two days. And and then it began. I mean, there was at least five or ten minutes of, of total and utter blackness when I felt like I was floating above the earth. Um, it's a long, long story, but eventually within 18 months, I volunteered on a hotline. 
in South Bend, Indiana. Through there, I learned about the American Association of Suicidology. They're over 50 years old. I started going there looking for answers, helped form a survivor division there. I mean, it sounds simple, but there was a lot, a lot involved with that. And eventually, I went back to get a master's degree in counseling. Mm-hmm. And when I said I wanted to declare suicidology as my field, they looked at me and said, well, we've never had anyone do that, but we'll help you figure it out. Mm-hmm. So then I did an internship. I had seen a grief counselor in Aurora. I saw I did an internship, and out of that grew Survivors of Suicide Loss in 1982. So that's a support group for those of us who have lost someone to suicide. Two years later, work still working with a core group, I started the Crisis Line of the Fox Valley, 1984, in Aurora. And around 1996 or 1997, it was clear that more needed to be done in education and training. So my then agency said, we're not paying you to go out and educate people. We're training you to oversee a hotline. Hmm. So again, I pulled some people together and we got $10,000 grant money. We thought we were floating on air and we brought in someone to do a full week of training. And it's, it's gone from there. We we're 20 years old this year. So we are one of, seven agencies in the country, none of us related to the other. We have everything under one roof. So we do education and training. We do counseling. We have contracts in the schools. We have a hotline. We have an attempt support group and a loss support group. And such a big focus in these last few years has been on our kids. Mm. When this started, the high schools didn't want me to come in and talk. Then it was the middle schools. Now we're in the elementary schools. So it's critical that we get to people as early as possible and teach them some basic skills. And talk about it, and that's why we're here. Absolutely talk about it. This The stigma, I think, is lessening, but maybe that's because of what I do. I know growing up, my kids would say, are all your friends in the suicide world? And I'd say Mm. most of them are, but I do still have some other friends. We have to talk about it. And that last piece, Lisa, is the attempt survivors. That's what came to me 10 years ago. I'm thinking my mom was an attempt survivor. No one, no emergency room, no doctor, no psychiatrist ever said to me that the second attempt is more than likely to kill her. And that's one of the warning signs. A prior attempt, they learned from that. They learned, and she did ask, how did they know what I took? And my sister said, because all the bottles were on the counter. Do you know that after her death, I went up and down the alley and looked in trash cans, and she had pulled off all of the labels, washed all of the bottles. So this was very well planned out. Yeah. Let's segue into Mike. Sure. Thank you for coming. This is a brave topic for you to talk about. Kind of take us back. Tell us about yourself and kind of how your life brought you here. Well, my case is probably not typical because I wasn't, uh, I'm a little crazy, but I had no diagnosed uh, serious mental illness, uh, schizophrenia, bipolar, things that can definitely contribute to uh, this kind of uh, action. But I was worn out. I'd gone through a period of time when uh, I had a neck injury and I had suffered a lot of pain and it wiped out my ability to play tennis, my ability to play golf. I was always kind of a loner, so I didn't have a social uh, background. I didn't have a support network. 
and I just basically turned into a couch potato and, and just turned in on myself. And eventually I convinced myself that, uh, everything would be better if I just left and I was worn out. I, I wrote a letter, which looking back on it now is almost, it's sadly funny because I was trying to tell everybody I'm not depressed. I'm just worn out. Well, once you take those little, you take those little steps and the world gets darker and darker and darker, eventually hit an edge. And I hit that edge and I, it was, they said it was a suicide attempt. As far as I was concerned, I committed suicide. And, uh, unfortunately, I, unfortunately, or fortunately for me, I guess, uh, my wife heard me kind of stumbling around. She was in bed and she, she woke up and came down and found me and was able to call 911. Although she, she admits that at the time she was kind of wondering, well, what do I do? Do I just let him go? Cause I wasn't a very, I wasn't in a, a husbandly loving place at that time, but she did. And I woke up the next morning in Providence Mercy Hospital in the mental ward, in the suicide ward. And uh, I woke up and I was furious that I woke up. But that's when things turned around. Uh, two, weeks in, two weeks in that program with a lot of training about uh, how to triggers, how to, how to handle anger, how to ang- handle frustration, how to see bright brightness in life rather than just seeing the, the darkness and got my meds adjusted. That was a big part of it. Turned out I was way over medicated. Mm. Uh, found, uh, found some other outlets for myself. And, uh, now six years later, I can, I'm amazed how nice life is, how fun life is. Did your wife know how you felt? She knew I was in a bad place. And she was pretty tired of it, I'm sure. Uh, but thank heaven she cared for me enough to, uh, to call 911. I was just going to ask you, what can you tell loved ones and friends who maybe have that inkling or do see some warning signs but feel helpless? What, what can we do to help others like you who are having those thoughts? Well, number one, I, I can really feel sorry for those people because trying to deal with a uh, a seriously depressed human being is not easy. It's not something for an untrained person to really deal with. And, uh, I don't know what to tell you other than, uh, there are, there are programs that, that you can be, get involved with couples counseling. Now suicide is a much more widely discussed subject. Now so many people, Robin Williams, you know, the people you mentioned, so many people other than just the musicians we always mm-hmm. think of that just mm-hmm. overdose or whatever. And, and now kids, you know, yeah. kids are finding themselves in that place, which I found myself in when I was a senior in high school. But back so then it goes back. Oh yeah. A while. Yeah. It, for you. But you know, you bounce back, mm-hmm. but eventually you lose the resilience to be able to bounce back. Yeah. Stephanie, uh, let's talk about the numbers. Why are they up? We've heard bullying, we hear yeah. kids, we have economic situations, um, opioids, I mean, drugs. Is there a reason why those numbers at the top of the show that I mentioned, and they're all statistics, but they're people, they're real people. Right. Why are those numbers up and that most states are seeing significant increases in the last two decades? Because of everything you've said, mm-hmm. Lisa, but every 
case. Every human is individual. And, you know, I've been in this field a long, long time. When I got in, it was uh, completion rates were 32,000 a year. Then it went down to 30. Now it's up to what, 45, 46,000. It's climbing up. I think it's a variety of things. There's also almost a permission giving, um, especially for kids. That has not changed as far as, well, that person took his life and he had it all together. And I don't have it all together. So therefore, I can do the same thing. Now, one of the things that always comes up, and this is what I want to say, how do you help people? We're all sitting here today. We have our masks on. We have our faces on. I don't know, Lisa, what you've been through this morning. I don't know what Mike has been through. But we project a certain image to the world. And oftentimes, as simple as this sounds, a word of kindness, looking someone in the eye, putting your phone down. What do you say to a loved one? You know, and that's a good question to ask Mike. What do you do? You look for help, but it it's different than it was 30 years ago. If you remember the yellow pages in the phone book, we used to say, look up a therapist, or we'd give someone a card. Take them for help. You say to them, and if they almost refuse to go, you can say, that's what I say to a lot of parents, I need help in knowing how to help you. Will you come with me to get help? There is codependency, and that came out years ago in the alcohol field. Codependency in and of itself is not a bad thing. We're human beings. We depend on one another. So caring someone for a little bit, and I mean C-A-R-R-Y-I-N-G, and also C-A-R-I-N-G. We cannot carry someone 24-7, but we can take them for help. We can look up help. Um, And my other suggestion I always say is if you go to a therapist, interview them, are they comfortable dealing with suicide? I have someone that works for me that went to a therapist and asked that question, and that response was, we don't talk about suicide in this office. This is a therapist. So they do, <clears throat> excuse me, have to be interviewed. Who is being affected by this? You know, middle-aged white men, veterans, yes. LGBT. You mentioned young people. Yes. More women. That's all of us. That's all of us. Is that really the case, or is there other more people that are prone? Is it mental illness? Is it circumstantial? What leads to this? And, Mike, you could probably talk about this as well, both of you. What do you think? Well, for one thing, it seems like, in my case, isolation was a real, real problem. And that's what scares me about kids nowadays. I, I've got grandkids that have a lot of friends, but there's so much interaction that takes place via screens Social media, yeah. Yeah, and and kids can be, we all know what kids can be. It can be pretty horrible if uh, if you let them go the wrong direction. But And it can be really hard. Kids take things so seriously, and they don't see a way out. Uh, I don't know what the question was now. I guess I was talking about, like, you, you talked about young people and the reasons why. Is there a specific group that's more prone Well, yes, uh, 12 to 24-year-olds, it is the second leading cause of death after accidents. Middle-aged white men, Mm -hmm. which Mike would have fit into, Mm -hmm. uh, anywhere from 35 to 50, 55. Some of this is the economy. They're losing their jobs. They're losing their homes. Things are being downsized. Um, The isolation, the pressure. 
people do not take a step back and relax. I often ask people, if you're feeling down, what do you do? I mean, there's a whole formula for, as silly as this might sound to people out there, watch a sitcom, watch a funny movie, take a walk, get in a hot tub. Um, There are any variety of things, even if you take a pen and click a pen, that changes your brain waves. Wow from the right side to the left side or vice versa. So um, there are things that can be done. And of course, Mike touched on isolation. Uh, There is a prior attempt, like I said, alcohol involvement, opioid involvement. Yes, mental illness, but not always. Mm -hmm. You're listening to At Issue on WBBM. Today, we're talking about suicide, why rates are up and what we can do about it. I'm Lisa Fielding. Our guests today are Stephanie Weber and Mike Kenlin from Suicide Prevention Services. Okay, let's talk about people who have loved ones who have folks who have committed suicide like yourself. As a survivor, you probably spend, and the first thing I wanted to ask you was, did you know and did you live with yourself with why? What could I have done to help? I think that's such a guilt. Yes. And while some people leave notes, some people do not. Correct. And you are left behind mm-hmm. wondering why and feeling guilty that you should have done something. I have run a support group now for 38 years. And every new person that comes in, it's the same thing. It's the guilt. It's the anger. Eventually, after a good two years of hard grief work, eventually it's saying, okay, I'm going to carry a little piece of this forever. I am forever changed. She did not mean to take me with her. It is such a hard feeling in the beginning because of that, yes, I could have done something. When you finally step back, that puts us in a godlike position. She did not come to me and stand in front of me and say, this weekend at such and such a time, I'm going to take my life. Now, in retrospect, knowing what I know now, there were a lot of warning signs and there were things I could have Mm. done. But I can also tell you she was simply worn out and tired. All lost survivors. I have a, a teardrop I wear sometimes. I have a picture of her that I wear sometimes. And I have a heart with a Band-Aid on it. And I say that all of our hearts have been broken, bandaged back together. Would your, you look back and you go, would have, could have, of course. Yes. I think everyone does that. Would your mom, it didn't sound like your mom wanted, did she want help? You look back and think, what could we have done more? And would she have accepted that help? And would she have made that choice regardless? Does that go through your mind? Yes. Well, she had been seeing our minister for a year. He came to the house to counsel her. And she took her life Labor Day weekend of 1979. <clears throat> the last time he saw her was on a Thursday. And he said, I don't think I can do any more for you. I'm going to recommend. And he did. It was a certain doctor. When I'd heard of him, I thought, oh, yes, this man does good work. And my mom called, I found this out later, and he was on vacation. So there's a sign. I mean, they they look for signs. He was on vacation. Because of her depression, her sister, she spent many holidays with her sister who lived nearby. Her sister had said, I can't have you come this weekend. I can't take the depression. There's another sign. People were just starting to pull pull away. Mm. She had started... um, 
She was transferred to a different job. She was a learning center lady in an elementary school. 14 years. And then in their infinite stupidity, the administration decided, let's take all of these women of a certain age and put them in different buildings. Well, she was terrified. She used to be able to walk to her job. Um, Now she had to drive. She didn't know anyone there. And let me also say my dad had died two and a half years before, Mm -hmm. and it was four months after his death that was her first attempt. And in a strange way, Lisa... I came upon that knowledge, those minister cards I have had in my hands for years, and I'm sure I've read them, but I read them in this last year again, and she said right to him she had planned to kill herself after my dad died. Kind of guilt-relieving to me in a strange kind of way. But, you know, I miss my mom every single day. Yeah. Some people who are left behind, or if there's a famous person who does this and yes. brings it up, you see in social media discussions two different topics. One, that's a selfish act, especially if you have children, to do that. And then you also have people who talk about the fact that it could be, it should be labeled maybe a health crisis like HIV/AIDS, and put more money toward treatment, um, and that this is mental health at the bottom of the topic. Let's talk about both of those things, and it goes through both people's minds. Um, when this happens? Suicide is a public health issue. Exactly and firmly right there. It is not a selfish act. And when people say, what about me? Didn't they think of me? I'm sure they did. Or their children. They thought of everything. They Mm -hmm. thought of God, if they believed in God. They thought of everything. And yet, the pain that they are in is something I hope we never feel. Mike felt it. We can't imagine what that is. And, and I mean, it's just overwhelming sometimes to think about it. So, yes, I bite my t- tongue and clamp my teeth when people say it's a selfish act. You think about it, everything in us pulls toward health. It goes against everything. People like, if I can jump here to Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade, again, what did people say? They had the perfect life. They had it all together. Really? Mm-hmm. Obviously, they did not. That What the mask they wore that they projected to the outside was hiding a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. And I read a little bit about Anthony Bourdain, and he, he talked about it plenty, mm-hmm. but no one took it, I guess, seriously no. enough to realize that he would eventually do exactly what he said he would do. If you talk, talk about, about it, you need to be shower. taken seriously. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. That is a warning sign. Yeah. In the shower, he talked yeah. about it. There are plenty of people that don't talk about, though, right? Are there more people who talk about it and you look back and say, oh, there were warning signs? Or do you find there are more people that do mask it and hold it in and then it becomes a completely surprise? Which do you see more of? You said your wife knew you were unhappy, Mike, but do you think there was enough? Were you giving enough warning signs? Did you want help? But you probably weren't even thinking about that. You thought about how you were feeling at the time, right? Well, the the fact was my my note that I wrote yeah, addressed wrote my wife, my kids, how much I loved them, God, how he was going to handle it. Wow. It went through all that. And it just said, it's not that I'm depressed. It's, it's that I'm worn out. And I just don't want to deal with it anymore. Well, that's that's depression. Yeah. Your brain, the brain chemistry changes Yes. when you get depressed. And the joy, there is no joy when you're depressed. You, the most 
the most pleasant things that you used to do give you no joy when your when your brain is in that state. And this can't you can't even call this a choice. It's more of a mental. You said chemicals in your brain give I you believe. give you the wrong choices, right. or and that's sometimes hard for people to even understand, right? Would you find that? Yes. Yes. Yeah. How do I you would des- agree with how that. do you even describe it's not it's, people say, well, it was a choice. They chose that. Would you say that that but you really did you did you really? Well, I certainly <laughs> didn't choose to be that in that mental state, mm-hmm. in that state of pain and frustration and anger. Yeah. I didn't want that. Mm-hmm. But it was a fact. Yeah. And I dealt with it badly. Yeah. And I don't know that anybody really could have helped. But I have talked to my psychiatrist and he and after coming through what I came through and and learning how to be joyful again. It's funny, my psychiatrist basically said some of the some of the happiest people in the world I know are people that attempted. But then were properly were able to properly get themselves back to a normal chemical state, a normal attitude state. Do you and find I am. Yes. Right. Good. For the last five years have been the happiest years of my life. That's wonderful. And I think speaking and, out about it, reliving what happened to you, mm-hmm. does that help you? <clears throat> well, I know a lot of people would, would rather me ignore it. I'm not sure how well this is going to go over if, if my circle of friends, none of my friends know about this. Uh, family well, and a few people that knew me back then. Well, I think as we talked about the stigma, I think that's being let go mm-hmm. a little bit mm-hmm. as we talk about it more. And it won't be like that and that perception. That's what I think we bring this topic out. What would your advice be to those who are maybe listening mm-hmm. and are maybe in your state or have been? Lisa, that's, that's really hard to say because I know I wasn't going to listen. So I don't know what to tell you. I, I have to turn it back over to the professionals. And don't be afraid to ask for help, right? I mean, you have a Absolutely. mask. People are strong. They think that the stigma is there and people are going to look down at you if you say you're feeling this way. Right. Um, but really, there's more help out there and people who do understand that don't. Well, and the other thing is, let's say you said to me, Lisa, um, Stephanie, you seem... You seem rather down. I'm noticing a change in behavior. And I say, oh, I'm fine. Don't take it at that. Push yeah. a little more. A lot of people say they're fine. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. What do you, tell me about your services. I'd love to talk about yes. my services. We'll end with that. <laughs> All right. So we do have a 24-7 hotline. We are part of the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. We're one of 195 centers across the country. That is one part of what we do. We do counseling. Lots of people who are attempt survivors, people who are considering suicide, loss survivors, children. Uh, we have contracts with school districts where a social worker will do the first assessment, and if this child's at high risk, we go in and we do some work there. We do a lot of education and training. I'll be out at NIU next week for a full-day workshop for their counseling department. We do the support groups, and actually, we have started now, a, we call it the Children's Center. So we have a room dedicated at our, at our building where primarily we've been working with five to eight adolescent girls, seventh, eighth, and ninth, who are depressed and anxious. Education, awareness, right. and discussion. Correct. I think that all, that's, can make a difference and possibly save lives. It does. Our guests at issue this weekend have been Stephanie Weber and Mike Kenlin with Suicide Prevention Services. 
I hope you enjoyed our discussion today and we hope we can make a difference. Thank you both for joining us and sharing your personal stories. Thank you. Thank you. Lisa. I'm Lisa Fielding, WBBM News Radio on 105.9 FM. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.